Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Let's start talking about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. Okay. Uh, I watched, uh, I've, you might have noticed, uh, intrepid Movie Journal listeners might have noticed uh, a trend, um, maybe in the time we've, since we've started the Movie Journal, actually, might be kind of a correlation of me filling in some, some gaps. Um, and sometimes these are, you know, big movies like the Magnificent Ambersons, which is like, how could I go that long without seeing it? And some of them are just things that I've always wanted to watch and never got around to. Um, and so I'd always been interested by the 1973 French animated film, Fantastic Planet. Oh yeah. Which I'd never seen. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Um, I never really made it a priority because I, a part of me kind of assumed it was just like a, a druggy thing to sound like an old man. Yeah. Say something I never would have said 15 years ago. Um, uh, it's not, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's weird. You don't need, uh, I would, I'm going to say you probably don't need to be on acid to, to watch it. I was, uh, uh, stone cold sober, or maybe I had a beer, um, as I tend to do. Um, when I watch a movie late at night, I like, you know, a long, uh, hard day. I like to come home and unwind with the brewski, a beer Um, and a French animated classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it is a terrific uh, little movie. It's so visually inventive, um, and it has it, the basic story is that uh, it's maybe the future, or maybe it's an alternate universe where humans are humans, but they're they live on a planet where the dominant species are giant blue creatures, mm-hmm. and um, there are wild humans, and there are humans that are kept as pets by, oh. uh, and so one. Uh, who doesn't sound so fantastic to uh, me. <laughs> yeah. One, one uh, human or ohm, as they call him in the movie, is um, snatched, uh, born wild, but snatched up as a baby, raised as a pet, and then um, escapes, I guess, or finds himself um, back among the, com- the the colony of the, the, the wild ohms, uh, and he has learned to speak the language of the drags i think they're called the uh the 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 beasts and so he sort of tries to uh, advance the ohm culture oh okay uh that's that's the the basic premise but it's a it's just a delightful uh movie to watch even though i mean sometimes it's it's heavy and cruel and you know people die and uh big blue alien creatures die um but it also even when it's being uh, outlandish or when it's being, um, you know, dark or violent, it finds ways to do it that are, uh, would probably be gentle, gentle to someone maybe who might be tripping because they're, uh, <laughs> they're not extreme. Like there's a part like when there's a major attack on the drag culture, uh, or drag, I'm not sure how you say it. Um, and they're like, way of life is being destroyed. Um, the lasers that shoot go like, I like the movie because even though I think that plot, as I've described it, um, probably sounds like a million other, like apocalyptic future, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, type of parables. Um, but, uh, it finds ways to express itself that are never, um, 
expected. So, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that I, that I watched fantastic planet. Yeah. And that, that really does fit in for me as well into that category that you're talking about. It's like, it's one I've been aware of for years. No one is saying you've got to see, you haven't seen fantastic planet the way people would say like with Magnificent Ambertons or, or for me, seven samurai for so long. Um, but it is one that just, I felt kind of the, the pull to watch but I've never like pulled the trigger on it. But I think didn't Criterion just release it, or has it been on the Criterion collection for a while? Um, I know Criterion did put it out. I can't remember how long ago that was. But <clears throat> what made you, out of curiosity, what made you decide to watch that as opposed to something else? Uh, sometimes I have excuses for what I watch, and sometimes, well, I always have excuses for what I watch. Um, some of them I would prefer not to go into because sure. they would maybe make people concerned for my mental well-being oh yeah Uh, because i am just hyper structured and everything is planned and there is nothing that i read watch or listen to that isn't part of a list um that i've uh put together weeks or months or sometimes years in advance um uh i i leave nothing up to chance and try to allow myself to make as few decisions in the moment uh, as, as possible. It's, uh, a ton of fun to be married to me. I'm sure. <laughs> um, well, I've gotten better. N- Natalie d- knows you're not going to spring anything on her. That's kind of <laughs> nice. Uh, I've gotten better. I, I did spend three years in therapy and that, and that helped. But even like, even after three years, I barely scratched the surface of like trying to explain to my therapist, like how much, um, how much of my choices of consumption are ordered. It's yeah, I, I, I can't really go into it. Uh, it's it's a massive undertaking. I have multiple lists and then I have a list of the lists so that I know what order the lists go in. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's difficult sometimes. But let's move on to another uh, space fantasy adventure mm-hmm. movie that you also saw yeah. this week. Um, Gareth Edwards, Rogue One, hashtag, not hashtag, colon, a Star Wars story. What if it were Rogue One, hashtag, a Star Wars story? Um, and then if you tweeted it, a dumb little, like, Death Star would show up after. I hate that, by the way. I, I, I tweeted about it this week. Whenever, I hate the idea that I could just innocently use a, tash, a hashtag and some image that I didn't pick might show yeah. up, and then I'm essentially just a tool of the marketing department of The Walking Dead or Rogue One or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> and like the walking dead's little image is the bat like negan's bat it's like that's that's your fun little cute emoji that speaks so clearly to what the walking dead is as opposed to a serious drama is that even when characters uh even when quote unquote beloved characters die. I don't think any character is actually beloved except maybe uh, the character of Daryl. Um, but even when characters that you've been connected to for many years, even when they die horribly, uh, there's a, there's an element of who gives a shit, uh, mm-hmm. to the, to the show. You know, I, I can't think of anybody. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of Breaking bad, uh, as you know, but you know, I, Felt those are characters that I get connected to, and spoilers, everybody, for the last season of Breaking Bad. So skip ahead. There's nobody that treated Hank's death as anything but 
tragic. And people do treat Glenn's death, uh, spoilers for Walking Dead, Glenn's death uh, at the hands of Negan. Um, people do treat that as tragic, but it didn't last very long. It more became just like, oh man, fucking Negan, man. Like it quickly turned into that uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter and on YouTube and that sort of thing. And I thought like, that's how you know that a show is not serious. Yeah. When I don't like to blame a work of art f- uh, for the way its audience reacts, but at the same time, the tone of the show is not what it could have been if you actually want us to care about these characters as characters. Can you imagine if you tweeted hashtag Breaking Bad and the emoji was Kristen Ritter's bubbling spittle? <laughs> 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 All right. Um, so those are our thoughts on Rogue One. <clears throat> yeah. No, um, this is, I mean, normally when we do the movie journal, we, um, we sort of have a blanket policy of like, we're talking about movies we've seen. There's going to be some spoilers, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, I think with newer movies, we tend to be more careful, both yeah. often because we're trying not to spoil one another. In this case, we've both seen it, but in this case, especially I do want to be careful because yeah. we're putting the episode up tonight when, as of recording, See, we're recording this. Audiences on the East Coast, I don't think, have even started to see it yet. Uh, so, well, now they do those ones before midnight. Yeah, they're, so they probably they're like have nine and ten screenings. Okay, so there are probably people in the in the uh, on the East Coast who are just finishing up watching it or or close to finish watching it now. Mm-hmm. So I wa- I do want to be careful with with spoilers. Right, and I'll part, try, part I'll try of that to speak is, broadly. Uh, part of my care is that there are things I so thoroughly avoided. Mm stuff about this movie partially because I was interested in partially because I generally just do that. Right. Um, uh, and, and I don't read that much about, I'm, I'm not one who's going to read a lot about star Wars movies. Um, I don't have anything against star Wars. I like star Wars. I'm not a fanboy. Right. Um, I think that's a bad thing. <laughs> okay. But the point I'm trying to make is there are things that I don't know if they're spoilers or not. Do you know what I mean? Like there are, yes. there are characters who show up that I went, Oh, I didn't know that character was in the movie, but I don't know if that's a spoiler or if it's just because I wasn't paying attention to the I, hype. I was very <laughs> torn in my review when I was talking about something I did not care for about the film. And in doing so, I thought like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Is that a spoiler? I don't think so. Um, I, but at the same time, it's hard. It's hard to know. And people are talking about it a lot on Twitter. Um, okay. And also people aren't going to. I think people who care that much about spoilers are probably not reading reviews until they've seen the movie. I would yeah. think, um, not judging anyway. Uh, but I, I loved this movie. I can't, uh, I really surprised myself. I think uh, maybe, maybe that's part part of why I loved it so much is, um, that I kind of went in hoping for another, the force awakens, which is a, like a perfectly good, fine film, solid fun time at the movies. I yeah. was looking for another one of those. And when I got was an, honest to God war adventure throwback type of movie. Yeah. That's also not completely overcome with its throwbackness or its nostalgia. Like it's, it has some new ideas for the star Wars universe. There's, um, I'm, I'm sure these things, I don't know enough. Don't remember enough to know if these things existed before, but the idea of a planet having a, essentially a shield, like a force field yeah. around it. And visually what Gareth Edwards gets to do with that idea is so cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, speaking of visually, like, I mean, you know, there was, 
there, there was talk recently about the Marvel movies being ugly, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. I, I think that's overstating the case, but I do think there's been a style and I think force awakens largely fell into it, um, of big budget, like action filmmaking that is not, it's it's competent it's not particularly well considered as a visual piece in a lot of ways like um i mean certainly like the the world design and stuff but i mean in terms of in terms of framing uh it's it it, the emphasis tends to be more on uh momentum and kineticism than on uh striking imagery but gareth edwards uh pulls hard in the other direction and makes it makes a movie that's absolutely beautiful to look at and not just beautiful but that has imagery that furthers the 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 plot and the emotional momentum uh, of of the movie you know there's right starting right from the beginning where you see it, it feels like such a throwback to like the george lucas star wars like matte painting type of filmmaking where you see a spaceship and then you get suddenly cuts to a wide shot and you see the spaceship as being tiny like a speck of dust passing by this enormous planet yeah uh it's 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 really cool really cool stuff um you know so i mean i i i i mentioned it's a war it's a war movie it's very much a world war ii movie and it's uh yeah uh, it's what I've always referred to as a platoon movie, which is not, uh, I always feel like I, I should come up with another name for it because I always have to get, clarify. I'm not talking about Oliver Stone's yeah. platoon. I'm talking about the world war two movies that Saving Private Ryan, uh, or Sands of Iwo Jima are part of the, yep. the history of where there's a group of guys. Um, and each one of them has a distinct personality and we're on a journey with them and yeah. with the ideas or backgrounds that they represent. Um, I was I was reading a review. Yes, I really liked the movie. At times, loved it. There were a couple things that were drawbacks for me. Well, then there are some, uh, I think, pet themes for me, or pet uh, maybe not themes, but pet. Um, I, I don't know. There are just things that I like about movies in general that mm-hmm. I like about this movie that I can't really talk about. Um, we can talk off mic about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, it, you know, it is a, uh, it's a movie about, you know, valor and bravery and all this stuff that I think no. it, it hit some buttons with me. It's, it bothered me when I read a couple of negative reviews that talked about the characters, just like these characters are total archetypes. Each one has like one thing about them and they just play that. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's first off. That's often how any ensemble film works. Um, whether it be 12 angry men or sands of Iwo Jima. Um, but also that's, that's definitely how the platoon war movie works. Yeah. Um, so the question then becomes, you can either, you know, desire this to be a character study, which nobody wants. Um, or you can say, okay, well now that we know that they're archetypes, how are they written? How are they played? Do I feel a connection to them? The answer to to that last question is probably yes to all of these characters. Um, I know some of them more, more on a deeper level than others, but that's by design. Like there's a character who is a very rough, like a very rough and tough guy. I don't know him on a deep level because he doesn't want to be known on a deep level, like which speaks volumes about who he is. Yeah. And so like it, is that what you're talking about, Baze Malbus? I don't know names uh, at this point. Are you talking about the guy with the long hair and beard and the huge gun? Yes. Yeah, I love him. I don't know yeah. if you look up 
pictures of that actor he's like a very like clean cut and kind of almost nerdy like balding <laughs> guy yeah uh, and uh, it's very funny to see him uh like that uh but it's yeah it's such a the the command of tone really got me like in just the fact that this was it wound up being exactly what i wanted it to be when i heard that this is it's part of the canon but it's not an episode there are certain expectations with an episode i think Mm -hmm. but by having this be just this offshoot a side story whatever you want to call it it frees them up a little bit to strike a different tone and that's something I've often battled again, you know, when, when I talk about how, that, I liked, uh, Avengers two, um, uh, I, I get, an, I, I get, I, mean, I can be sometimes be dismissive of the people who are like way too much of it is about setting up future things or tying it into the franchise or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And I think obviously there are references to the franchise at large. There's a ton of them yeah. in this, but you do very distinctly get the impression that this is not meant to be the first in an offshoot franchise like this is i mean i laugh at the idea that it's a standalone film because its entire existence depends on all the other movies but it's it is uh it it, you i noticed it when it wasn't there i'm so used to in these kind of like franchise movies seeing the setup for the sequel you know even the ones like dr strange that i liked um uh, uh, like I'm so used to it. Maybe I've become so accustomed to it that, uh, I noticed it when it was, when it was gone. And it, in my, one thing that struck me, um, and I put, I put this in my review, but I don't think I hit it hard enough is that, okay. When people talk about the great galactic war, uh, in which the empire was taken down, they'll talk about, you know, in the fictional world of star Wars, um, People will talk about, oh, Luke Skywalker. People will talk about Han Solo and Princess Leia. They'll talk about, in the same way we talk about General Eisenhower Mm. and MacArthur and Patton. Well, behind those people are the grunts and the people that are willing to quite literally, you know, sacrifice themselves or be be put in harm's way and, and face failure. And when it comes right down to it, if they succeed, great things will happen, but no one's going to know their name. Mm-hmm. Their success allows the generals to be well-known for these great victories. And that idea to me was so wonderful. Like it, it, The film did such a great job of just, you know, there's that idea of the expanded universe, which in Star, in Star Wars terms for a long time meant like books. Mm-hmm. This felt like it expanded the universe. Mm. And, and I just, there are a lot of things that I really love about this movie. And the more I talk about it, actually, the the more I like it. Let me mention a couple other things that I love, and then we'll get to the thing that you don't like. Uh, and I'll argue with you on that. Um, (laughs) uh, I also think we talked about this as being a, a a war movie and it is, it's such a throwback to world war two in this, like to the extent that it, it uses, I talked about this in my review, it uses all the different type of terrains that are available in all the, mm-hmm. in these various planets to hit like different kinds of world war two movies. You know, yeah. you've got, you've got desert, you've got village, you've got, uh, tropics, yeah. you've got, you've got all the, all, all the settings that you, uh, like, um, recognize from different world war two movies. But it's not just about war. It's also, as all the star Wars movies are to a certain extent about politics mm-hmm. and, 
uh, maybe I'm more attuned to this now because um, I'm so scared for America's future uh, when it comes to politics. But it did seem like the movie intentionally had this conversation about the whether or not there's a moral imperative for political engagement because mm-hmm. Jen Erso at the beginning is trying to be apolitical. Like she's yeah. and, and it's not just in her character. She says things that are, um, very clearly meant to, to speak to that. And, um, she's, uh, what, what's there's, there's a line that, that Cassie and Andor says to her at the beginning. And then she repeats at the end that rebellions are built on hope. I think something like that. And yeah. it's such an empty platitude at the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's intentional to put it there uh, and to make it not effective, <laughs> not an effective uh, persuasion to her at the beginning. And then to have her repeatedly be exposed to the horrors of the empire mm-hmm. um, a, a, to the point where when you come around to that idea again at the end, um, it it has so much more, more meaning. Um, and, you know, because she's realized that for all her attempts to be apolitical, there are people who, because of where they happen to live or what they happen to do, um, don't have that luxury. You know, they are, uh, they are caught up in it no matter what. Um, and she has to confront the idea that she might as just a citizen of the galaxy might be compelled, uh, morally to, to do something. Uh, but then the movie also has some, uh, touches on some topics of, of moral, uh, compromise moral relativism you know we see because Cassie Andor comes from the intelligence wing of the alliance we yeah. see them doing some shadier uh, yeah. shadier things um, and uh, I like the movie was willing to have that conversation uh, that's what I liked well and, and Mads Mikkelsen's character if you think about his dilemma um, which I feel like undersells what he has to do um, it's I mean, it's, I don't think it's, it's a big spoiler, but I, I won't go into it, but he has a choice. He has a choice to make and he chooses something that so many people would view as the wrong choice, but his, you know, it, it reminds me of, um, that movie. I think it was an HBO movie called conspiracy. It's got Kenneth Branagh and, um, and, um, Stanley Tucci, Mel Gibson, that's conspiracy theory. Oh, got it. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and it's, it's a, it's essentially a chamber piece in which all of these Nazi officials are like planning. I think the, the final solution. I oh, mean, okay. and, and so of course it's horrible, but th- within it, there are the Nazis that are super on board with this. And then there are the ones that aren't. And they have this choice where, they can either oppose these guys and be killed and then it's going to happen anyway, or they can be quiet now and then try to oppose it in their own way and stay alive. If the thing's going to happen anyway, it's better to be alive and working, working against, against it. it. Yeah. And, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, but how much are you going to be able to work against it? And I don't know. There's just, there's the complexity of this film is so much more than I'm used to seeing in star Wars films. Mm. Um, and I don't know. It's, there's, there's a lot to really love about it. And like I said, I went in with not necessarily high expectations, but high hopes. And I think it, I think it met them, um, for what this could be. 
now let's briefly talk about the thing that uh, has been all over film Twitter that you that you and I disagree with because there's a character uh, an entirely CG character there's more than one entirely CG character yes um, but one of them is a human and that's uh, where the where the problem comes in for uh, for a lot of people and would come in I would have hated this choice if I weren't liking the movie but I've come Mm -hmm. to I realized through this that this conversation um, that was happening on Twitter uh, that um, if something looks kind of dumb or off or or bad uh, in terms of CGI or even makeup or you know like a lot of people complain about like um, someone having a shaky accent in a movie or like old age sure. makeup sure. looking bad that stuff only bothers me if I'm already not liking the movie mm-hmm. if I like the movie I don't care it's fine. It didn't. So this thing that has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and that multiple reviews I've read have said is enough to mar the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I registered at the beginning and then I just moved on because I was into the movie and I kept trying to, I kept trying to move on and be like, okay, okay. This character, um, plays a much larger role than I thought he was going to. I thought it was going to be a little cameo. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh no, he's a full on character here. Um, and so I thought like, okay, now that I know that I need to be okay with this. And I thought like, I, I I'm not okay with it. And just, <laughs> it, just because, it, because he's a human and he's a human we've seen and we've seen the human as a human. And it's weird. This stuff that, you know, like I've said it before, there are odd things that take me out of a movie when an actor does his own stunts that actually takes me out of the movie, uh, as opposed to keeps me in hmm. because rather than think, rather than just be like, Oh wow, this character is doing this thing. I think like, it's probably not that dangerous. Otherwise they wouldn't let the actor do it. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's what I think. Um, yeah, and, weirdly that's actually going to come up, uh, well, it, okay. uh, later with, uh, I'll just say now with, uh, La La Land, like Ryan Gosling clearly learned to play the piano. And I was like, there were a couple times watching the movie that I was like, well, good for him. He's really playing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, this was something that I, I didn't want to let me take, I didn't want to let take me out of the film, but it really did. Um, and I think it's just, it's, and I can't even put my finger on why, but I think it's just, I can live because CG is mostly intangible. Like if you watch Lord of the Rings or something like that, as good as Gollum looks and he looks pretty damn good. There is just in the outline, there's just something that looks a little bit more intangible. Um, you know that he's not 100% in the same physical space, mm-hmm. but that's, that's okay. Partially because Gollum is humanoid, right? You know, and just, but when somebody has to be an absolute human, I can't help but compare that person to the actor in my mind who I've seen, who is tangible. And so, it's a good, it's certainly a good vocal impression. Um, I think it's pretty almost flawless. Um, but it's been uh, almost 20 years since I've seen star Wars. Really? Yeah. The last time I saw star Wars, sorry, sorry, nerds, a new hope. Uh, <laughs> the last time I saw a new hope was when they released in theaters in 1997. Wow. Um, and I, and that was the, the, the special edition with the new stuff added mm-hmm. in. I've never seen the special editions of either empire or Jedi. Cause it's been, so it's been even more than 20 years since I've seen either of those movies. Yeah. Um, this is what I mean when I say I'm like, 
I like Star Wars movies. I think I think uh, some of them are good, um, but I'm not like a Star Wars fan. That's why it's all the more Im- impressive to me that yeah. I love this so much. Yeah, I I loved them when I was a kid, but I don't think this is not a choice I'm making. I don't think you'll ever find a Star Wars movie in my top hundred. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's their favorite movie of all time. Yeah, um, but yeah, this I liked Force Awakens a lot. And I like this a lot. So like if they keep going like this, I'm excited about where we're going uh, from here. All right. Um, should we count that as your uh, sure. turn then? And then I'll do. Okay. Um, also on my catching up on movies uh, uh, mission, uh, I watched another movie that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Um, ever since I think it was referenced on an episode of Roseanne. Do you remember in later Roseanne when DJ became like a weird like art art kid yes. and his he was friends with Heather Heather Matarazzo? Um, that you know, I don't recall. You know her? Yes. And they were like they were into movies together and she like they met at a video store and she was telling him about this movie uh, called Delicatessen. Uh, oh, and so I'd okay. never seen it. I've seen a lot of um, I've seen most of the other I guess Jean Pierre Genet. I've seen the other Jean Pierre Genet and Mark Caro movie mm-hmm. um, City of Lost Children. And of course I've seen Alien Resurrection and uh, um, Amelie and a very long engagement and Micmac. So I guess this was like the only one yeah. that I was that I was missing. Uh and it's fine. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's, it feels like the kind of thing if I had seen it when I was like in high school or in film school, I would have been really impressed by it sure. because there's a lot of, um, very, you know, arch choices in terms of, uh, design and camera lenses and placements and, and performance and everything is hyper like considered. And there's a lot of cleverness going on. Um, and it's sort of, you know, buoyant and goofy, but also like dark and, and violent. Um, I really would have responded to all that. And that's not to say I didn't respond to it. Now I certainly respect it as a piece of, uh, filmmaking and as a, a pretty ambitious undertaking for what I have since read about the, the budget, uh, being because this is before they'd made, mm-hmm. um, all their other m- movies. And so this was, this is the one that, that sort of got them noticed. And it's a, a pretty, uh, 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 like I said, it's a, it's a pretty big undertaking in terms of, um, uh, set design and things that, things that happen in the physical space. Uh, but I probably don't need to like revisit. I feel like I've, yeah. uh, I've seen it now. It's part of, I've completed that Jean-Pierre Genet puzzle, uh, and I can move on. Yes. So let's move on to a movie that I don't think you've seen yet. Um, that's a recent movie because I don't remember it coming up on one of the movie journals but then again later in the movie journals I tend to tune out a little bit sure um, so I don't think you've seen Moana no I haven't okay so I saw Moana <laughs> it's really really good yeah uh, it's not it's not perfect I think there's it, there's some stuff that I think goes back to Aladdin that is just part of the Disney DNA now that I am just going to have to get used to which is like uh, even though the movie doesn't take place in the here and now, like having occasional like pop, pop culture references. Yeah. And there's now there's movies like the emperor's new groove that I think do it well because everything about that movie is kind of uh, a weird take on this. Yes. But like Moana has a very specific sort of setting. Um, and it's, no, it's not specific by the time it's clearly some part of history or whatever. Mm. Um, and so to have, like the word tweeting come up in the movie. Uh, it's, and they find it's, it's not a, 
particularly graceful or clever way that they <laughs> managed to work the word tweeting into the movie. Uh, I don't like it, you know, and there's a character who's a, uh, a crab, um, voiced by, uh, Jermaine Clements. Oh, um, right. but there's a reference to Sebastian. Sure. You know, I just, I don't like that stuff. Um, I like the little hidden things. Like there's a part where, so Maui, the, the demigod that, um, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, uh, uh, voices can change himself into other animals. Mm -hmm. Um, and at one point he, uh, transforms briefly into Sven, the reindeer from frozen. That stuff doesn't bother me because it's, it happens. It's gone. It's not commented on, you know, it's there for you to catch if you're into that sort of thing. But yeah. a lot of people probably won't catch it. Um, uh, it, that stuff I don't, I, I, I don't mind, but when it, when it intrudes on the, the, the goings on of the movie, yeah. uh, it bothers me, but it's, it's a minor thing. It's a, it's a, it's the first 3d movie I've seen in a long time. Cause I tend to avoid three 3d movies. I'm kind of over it. Uh, but the 3d is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, uh, most importantly, Maybe most importantly, and this is because I'm in this, as we talked about recently, I'm all in on Hamilton now. Sure. Um, the songs are by Lin-Manuel Miranda, okay. and they're really good songs. Uh, definitely like the, the kind of stuff that I was humming songs the next morning, hmm. you know, not just on the way to the car, which I was uh, after the movie, but the, the next morning I was still humming songs from Moana. So it's definitely worth, uh, worth checking out. All right. All right, what's uh what's next for you? Okay, well, first off, um this is something that is not on my list and I might have talked about it already. Okay. It's it's one of my editing experiments okay. that I that I did a while ago but didn't actually watch. And then I actually watched it. Okay. Uh, this week. It is what I uh, what I call Lord of the Rings Frodo's Journey. Have I talked about that? Uh, I, I think you might have mentioned it, but okay. I haven't talked. Okay, I think I talked about it as a um, as a project I was working on in my spare time back when I had spare time. Uh, but now that school is over, I thought like, oh, you know what? I'll actually watch this all put together. Um, you know, some of the edits are a little clumsy, but I'm not an editor. So <laughs> basically, what I did is I took the Lord of the Rings extended cut movies and I removed everything that Frodo is not in and every scene that he's not in hopefully not every shot no every shot <laughs> no every scene that he's not in um and I I decided I would go ahead and make allowances for like okay he's in it but he's not conscious uh sure so like yeah. Sam fighting the spider and stuff like that um that's that's still in there um but uh, so I put all of these together and it came to about three and a half hours. Um, maybe, maybe only three. Um, and so, because what got me, what, one thing that I'm always fascinated about in movies that cover a lot of ground as the Lord of the Rings movies do, um, is that like, Oh, these characters have been separated from each other for so long. What must this look like to them? Well, and, and, you know, Frodo at the very end, like after the ring has been destroyed and all that, and he wakes up in Rivendell mm -hmm. and the first thing he sees is Gandalf. Well, my, he probably thinks he's dead. 
in that moment and that he's in like some kind of heaven uh-huh. or something. Um, because or at least he, in the King's cross station from the final Harry Potter movie. <laughs> yes. Um, and so he, uh, okay. This is going to be tough. They uh, can't hear this. Okay. I know. Sorry, everybody. The, the, our smoke alarm is going off. Uh, and, because Jen is doing some cooking and that happens. The, the building's on fire. This is how dedicated we are. We're being like that dog in that meme. Um, this is fine. Oh yes. I do enjoy <laughs> that meme. Um, and so, uh, I, I call it a meme. Like it's a cartoon that an actual artist made. Yes, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's just been used to the point of memification. And so, uh, so yeah. Um, cause that's the thing is, Frodo doesn't see Gandalf ever since he falls off that bridge after fighting the Balrog. We see him in the next film. Mm-hmm. And so when you watch all of Frodo's stuff together, where it's just him, Sam and Gollum, Lord of the Rings is bleak. <laughs> it is a very bleak movie because we're just watching Frodo become more disheartened. We're seeing Gollum as Frodo's eventual future. Um, and then they occasionally weave in like David Wenham, like abducts them and stuff, but they don't, they don't see any of the big battles. Mm -hmm. They don't see anything except just walking along rocks, walking in fields and trying not to let this uh, horrible source of evil overcome them. Uh, and And so are you going to do like Legolas's journey next? Legolas is such a non-entity. Uh, <laughs> it would have to, it, basically it would be like, all right. And also Legolas is so tied to Aragorn that it would be Aragorn's journey. Okay. Or Merry and Pippin's journey. Theirs is really interesting because they separate. And so I was like, all right, I'm not going to, I wouldn't do it individually, but like, <laughs> but they, they're often like, yeah, they weave in and out of like all these other stories. Uh, and I, so I thought that would be interesting, but I don't know. It was just in watching it all together. It's like, wow, for this, for these characters, this is a very different, a very, a much more depressing experience, um, than the people who are in the midst of these giant battles. Uh, on one hand, I find that very interesting, but I also, on the other hand, there's a reason I don't watch fan edits and why I don't even like to watch like TV edited versions mm-hmm. of things is because a movie any given movie, I'm only going to see it so many times in my life. And I don't want sure a, a significant percentage of my experience of a movie to be like antithetical to what it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, and, and I just worry about like, uh, my overall picture of the movie being, uh, tainted. Yeah. And that actually doesn't bother me. And, well, clearly. And I, and I don't put these out for like people to see because they're just more like exper- a little experiment in perspective for me. And from what, and I've not read the books. I told this to somebody and they said, Oh, the books are actually laid out that way where it follows one and then it follows the other. And then another, it doesn't necessarily go back and forth between them. Oh, okay. And so I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I didn't realize that I had, that I had done that. And so, um, yeah. And, and when we, I forget, it was a long time ago. I think we had, uh, I think we had Eric 13 on, on the show and we were talking about like, you know, fan edits and being true to the artist's vision. It's like, absolutely. Uh, I'm all for that, but 
a fan edit is one thing where people are they are still engaging with the original work of art and my guess is they're doing this so that they can understand it in a deeper way but at no point would they say this is as good as the original work of art this yeah. this isn't going to supplant the work of art there's another thing that's been floating around where somebody just went ahead and did a full-on german expressionist version of batman returns where they took the sound out and just left in danny elfman's score and then like had like the little hand dipped colors mm-hmm. uh like here's the nighttime here's daytime and stuff oh, like that fun. and and then they scratch up the frame a little bit and so i was watching that and uh uh, unsurprisingly, it works really well, especially when Penguin's on screen. Uh, on screen, on screen. Uh, uh, wait till you see my diehard Argyle's journey. <laughs> it's nine minutes long. <laughs> That's the name of the limo driver. If you haven't seen Die I, Hard I, in a while, I haven't. And it took me a moment. I was like, ah, oh, right. Um, yeah, uh, for him, it's fairly uneventful. <laughs> yeah, he gets to listen to music, he chills, and then he gets to punch that guy in the face. Um, <laughs> so that wasn't on my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, what's your, what's your uh, entry here? Uh, the Squid and the Whale, um, which was just released. That's why you said squeen instead of screen, because you got that, squid I was, on the I brain. was already, yeah. Um, so I, haven't, I hadn't seen this movie in, in a while. Um, Blue, I've never I, seen it. Really? Yeah, can I tell you real quickly my story? Sure. Um, I was supposed to meet a friend to go see it at the uh, the landmark on Pico, which used to be not what it is now. It was kind of I don't know if by the time you moved here, if they had already like redone it, but it used to be just kind of a kind of a like outdated sort mm-hmm. of mall multiplex, like you've seen in any other mall. Whereas now the landmark oh, is it more was like, done by the time I got there. Okay, now now landmark is more like an arc light, um, and it's a it's an awesome place to see movies. Actually, I like it a lot, um, but. I had just, you know, this, I had just moved out here. This would have been January of 2006. I moved out here in September of 2005. Um, and I maybe hadn't gotten used to the traffic patterns and also hadn't gotten used to some very Los Angeles specific stuff. Um, so I did not make it to the movie in time to see it because I got, I decided to take Santa Monica, uh, past the Beverly, um, Wilshire, uh, hotel, Mm. um, on golden globes day <laughs> i got caught in golden globes traffic Ugh. um not and i that's when i learned oh yeah you have to account for those sorts of things yeah. there's uh, yeah a live event on tv that's uh coming from los angeles avoid that area yeah uh anyway so that's uh and you still I, haven't seen it and I, I, I never got around to seeing the squid in the whale criterion just released it on blu-ray and uh it is I remember really loving it at the time. It's even better than I remember. It is such, uh, I mean, it's in my review. It's like, it it deserves to be mentioned alongside something like who's afraid of Virginia Wolf or, uh, a woman under the influence or the ice storm, just movies about like domestic drama. But one thing about it is that it's also very funny as those films are as well. Um, but the humor is so dark, just emotionally dark, um, that you laugh and you're like, Oh, I don't like that. I'm laughing right now. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's beautifully written and great performances all around. Uh, Jeff Daniels turns in maybe a career best, um, and playing a character that is a, an absolute bastard, just a total narcissist. Um, uh, 
and and Jesse Eisenberg, I think this was like, I had only seen him in Roger Dodger a few years before. And then I was like, oh, he's getting more work. Good for him. Because uh, I genuinely thought that his style of acting would not enable him to be cast in a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and so, and he, he does a wonderful job. And it's, it's just, it's the story of this, of uh, an intellectual family and the parents get divorced and the family's trying to deal with that. Uh, very simple. But the way these characters cope with it um, is uncomfortably real uh, in a lot of ways. Um, often quite funny, but again, it's a very sardonic type of, of humor. And I just, I can't praise it highly enough. And they've got some really nice special features on there. Um, they've got some nice retrospective interviews with the <laughs> actors and, um, and with Noah Baumbach himself who has made no bones about this being basically autobiographical with him and the Jesse Eisenberg role. Cause his mm. parents were both in New York intellectuals who got a divorce and, and it was really terrible. And I think he actually had Jeff Daniels where, uh, if not, directly his uh, Noah Baumbach's father's clothes <laughs> uh at least like yeah. this is exactly the type of thing he wore and so uh he was working through some yeah. some stuff uh it's a, a marvelous film that makes it sound like a good movie an even it, better movie yeah it really is um all right oh i want to say because uh no one cares but i i was wrong i said beverly wilshire the beverly wilshire is not where the golden globes are they're at the beverly hilton oh okay yeah which is the one that uh is uh at the corner of santa monica and wilshire and it has the big ballrooms and there's all sorts of events there uh the beverly wilshire is uh as the name might suggest on the corner of wilshire and beverly drive uh it's a beautiful building i don't know if they have any ballrooms in there or at least not the type that could host uh the golden globes but it did bother me as soon as i said it i was like wait that's not the that's not the right hotel um so i needed to clarify the golden globes are the beverly hilton not the beverly wilshire well you can cross that off your list <laughs> of important things to say uh well it's better than talking about this next movie okay do you ever do you ever watch a documentary because you think i'm interested in that topic and then you 90 minutes later you go huh i guess i wasn't as interested in that topic as i thought i would be uh not usually <laughs> um that i not happen very often i watched a movie that had been on my list for a while it came out in 2013 uh it's a documentary called hey bartender um okay. it's from uh it didn't get much press but it's from the director who would go on to make uh drunk stone brilliant dead the national lampoon oh, yeah. documentary um which you only liked yeah and i guess it, that's right? kind of how i feel about hey bartender it's like it's uh, i think maybe it's this guy's name is douglas tarola tarola i can't remember how you say his last name um i think maybe he's got kind of like a superficial approach to documentaries which is like let's find some interesting characters and just like let, let their energy carry carry the movie but hey, hey bartender is about the sort of um, resurgence of classic cocktails and the culture that goes around it that sort of happened starting in the mid two thousands and continues uh, continues today. Um, And I thought I was interested in it because I like, you know, I certainly like the Ken Burns documentary prohibition. I like that sort of like history of, of drinking and especially, especially like the cocktail being such a part of American history. You know, it's one of the things we invented along with like jazz and musical theater. Like uh, we invented cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I thought I'd find that interesting, but really it's just, it's about, 
uh, like there's another thing that happens sometimes in documentaries that are about subcultures where you like start to think I could probably be, get into that. Like if, yeah. if one or two things have gone differently in my life, I might be one of these people like nerding about out about this thing that I didn't know anything about. Sure. Uh, I didn't walk away from this going, I got to learn more about cocktails, you know, or I wish I'd become uh, a professional bartender. Um, it was just like, I was like, that's interesting. I learned some interesting stuff, but, uh, overall it's a pretty, um, superficial and disposable, uh, <laughs> documentary. Yeah. It's, uh, th- I, there was a while when I was really like on a kick, uh, of the, of those kinds of, uh, documentaries, but mm-hmm. then, because I do think anything can be interesting. Uh, yeah, and I do think there is probably a movie to be made about no. cocktail culture because there's they go to there's a yearly convention in New Orleans um, called um, Tales of the Cocktail, um, which uh, was I think established in 2002 or 2003. Um, that has its own. It's like, it's like Comic Con for for like cocktail wow. nerds, except it's New Orleans. So it's a crazy and you yeah. know, drunken adventure, but like Comic-Con has the, the ink pot awards, which are like legitimately well-regarded, mm-hmm. you know, uh, comics arts uh, awards. Um, uh, Tales of the cocktail has the spirited awards. Uh, and they are like the, from what the movie how the movie presents them. They're the standard bearer for, you know, um, not just America, but all over the world, like best cocktail bars in the world that, or best new cocktails. If someone comes up with a new thing, like it's a, it's a serious thing that people take seriously. And that I found interesting as an idea. And I do think there's a movie to be made about this cocktail culture, um, that would get across how, how interesting it really is. But, uh, this is not the movie. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's sort of how I felt about that uh, Orson Welles documentary. That was something I wa- that I am interested in, but the person made it in just such a bland way that mm-hmm. I was like, "This is for literally no one." <laughs> right? Like, it's I guess it's for people that don't know anything about Orson Welles, but if they don't know anything about him, they probably aren't that interested in the first place. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Oh, yeah. I wanted to say I was skimming uh, Rotten Tomatoes blurbs about movies mm-hmm. uh, about hey, hey Bartender, which is something I sometimes like to do. And then if I'm interested, I'll click on the full review. Um, and now I can't remember who it was, but it said it. Someone someone said that it um, uh, test the hey bartender test the limits of your ability to enjoy watching other people have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was uh, a pretty good summation of of the movie. Um, but let's move on to. I had a religious experience of the movies last night. Oh my, Tyler! Uh, I saw Damien Chazelle's La La Land. Okay. Um, and it is, uh, transcendent and beautiful and it's everything that I hoped it would be and more. Um, it's everything I hoped it would be. Plus it's not limited by the things that I was expecting it to be. You know, I expected so much of it to be about, um, nostalgia, uh, you know, for, for old Hollywood or old, uh, not even just Hollywood, because there's a lot of Jacques Demy stuff, old old musicals of the 50s and 60s, as well as just a, a love letter to Los Angeles type of thing. And it is all that, but it's also not only that, and in fact, it addresses the fact that it's not only that, because um, there's a conversation at one point. Uh, Ryan Gosling plays the, uh, you know, the 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 jazz purist idealist not my favorite character in any movie right, yeah. even as a guy who enjoys jazz um um i think 
as much as I enjoy jazz is how much I don't enjoy people talking about jazz. <laughs> um, but he's the jazz purist and he's having a conversation with a character played by John legend, uh, who I didn't know was in the movie, but I'm a, I'm a fan of John legend who's also a jazz musician, but is, is working on music that is incorporating, um, you know, more electronic sounds and more hip hop sounds and, and stuff like that. And he's talking about like, um, how are you going to, save jazz as a purist uh if you're refusing to look to the future like you're Mm -hmm. too stuck in the past like you're worried about jazz dying but you're the one it's people like you who are killing it i think it's something that john legend actually Mm -hmm. says and that's kind of translates to the movie which is um so much the movie is so much in present day and unapologetic about it it's not like as much like i loved um the movie the love witch um right uh, I really actually, I really, really loved that movie. Um, but when someone that's a 19, like early seventies sort of, um, uh, homage. And when someone pulls out a cell phone or pulls up in a new car, it's, I think kind of supposed to be funny. And that's not true in La La Land. Like La La Land takes place now and is very yeah. aware of the now, uh, of being living in Los Angeles, specifically being, uh, uh, a striving actor and musician in Los Angeles, which is not something I can um, really relate to. Um, but I think uh, we just talked about, you know, the more specific something is, the more universal it feels and yeah. give, gets across that feeling very well, but it's, it's not in any way uh, blind or ignorant to um, the present and even the future, but it also has a lot of respect for, uh, for, for, for the past and for um, the, powerful bits of movie magic that um can still that still hold true today even though we don't see them anymore uh i i I just found it to be absolutely beautiful there are things there there's maybe the main thematic thing that i took away kind of like i talked about uh with rogue one but even more so here i can't talk like it would be wrong of me to talk about the main theme of the movie because (laughs) it would give away like so much of the end of the end of the movie but um uh, just know that the, that last, the last like sequence of La La Land, I'm getting, I'm about to tear up is so beautiful and so gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. and it, 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 it says, um, so much about, um, what we live for and to sound corny, what we love for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the idea that um on the one hand these people because these are very driven artistic minded people she's an actress he's a a musician they have goals in mind and they're always working toward their goals but it's also movie that recognize that everything that happens on the way to your goal is also 100 percent a part of your life yeah uh and um it even and it doesn't have any sort of uh you know trite uh cliches about like you know the destination not the journey journey. yeah Yeah, it doesn't it it doesn't waste time with that kind of stuff it just embodies that yeah Uh, and i find i just found it so beautiful and it's also a movie that i it has uh, uh at least in the you know in the in the i'm still in its afterglow and it's changed the way that I've looked at my world when I'm walking around it, you know, wow. because, because there are places in the movie that I recognize, you know, the, uh, in, uh, Griffith park or Pasadena, like all these places they go. Um, and they do such amazing things in them that I was like literally walking back to my car. I was in an underground parking garage and I was like, this is beautiful. Like mm-hmm. this, this, you could stage 
a musical, you could stage a perfectly beautiful shot here. And really? I think they staged a, a music video, I think isn't, uh, isn't bad. Uh, uh yeah, that's in a, a garage. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, La La Land, uh, that's, uh, I've just scratched the surface of how many things I, I, I loved about it. Boy, oh boy. Um, definitely i would recommend checking it out but i don't think i should i don't think i have to tell anybody listening to this to check out la la land it's gotten tons and tons of praise uh and it deserves it it's interesting um i'll talk about the oscars we don't have to talk about the oscar draft even though there's a lot of support for that here's the Um, thing people i found when they liked it they tweeted at both of us when they didn't like it they just tweeted at me and i kept having to like loop yeah. you in to use uh they, they understand my feelings. Culture. <laughs> <laughs> they know i'm very uh, uh but yeah they, i would say yeah. it's been i would say it's been more than less more or less split in, in, in the comments in the episode comments it's m- almost overwhelmingly positive maybe you're just focusing on what you want to focus on or maybe i am what i what i get <laughs> what i what honestly what people say is i didn't expect to like it and yet i do um Although one guy said that, like, uh, he's still unclear as to what it is. Everything like, well, I know the answer to that. Um, yeah, we can talk about it more. But um, but that, that's not, not the issue. I what will I say gonna... this thing about the Oscar draft, and then we'll get back to La La Land, I assume, mm-hmm. is what you're <laughs> yes. talking about. But uh, I made a, a swap. Oh, we had a, this is a comment I liked. Um, we, you and I used the word, and the people who play, we used the word trade. Yeah. It, they're not trades, actually, because we're not trading with one another. Yeah. We're swapping out for something else that is unclaimed. Right. Officially, you can trade with one another, and like the points and stuff, that's between you guys. But if you're, but you're, like if you and I wanted to trade, but I stand to gain more, then like maybe you'd say, well, I want five points. Okay. Uh, so that is, you know, but so that's something we do. can't do, but I don't think anybody ever okay. has. But we're talking about swaps. Swaps. Um, and maybe that's how we should refer, refer to them now on. So I had a bad. Mm-hmm. I had a because this is the first year we've done the flex glory. I didn't use it wisely. It wasn't getting me anything. So I was like, what's out there that's unclaimed that maybe could pick me up some points. And I, and I swapped out, uh, fences in the editing category. Again, this is a bad use of the flex pick, yeah. uh, for Vigo Mortensen, best actor for captain fantastic. And that has been a steady earner for me. That, that was a good, pick and then anybody who's put anything on hell or high water turns out that had so much more legs awards wise than any of us thought um uh, yeah and i've done two other swaps also for hell or high water yeah. i have the director and i have ben foster now. yeah and i think that's a good call yeah. uh i think that jet bridge is going to get more but ben foster is getting stuff you know um but what yeah, i wish say- it's it felt like in the early like awards it seemed like it was leaning toward more towards Ben Foster and that's why I picked him. But yeah, it does seem now like it's going more towards Jeff Bridges. I think industry, it's going to be Jeff Bridges, but there's still a lot of critics awards. And so I okay. think you'll, I think you'll be fine. But anyway, what were the, you going to say? The about point is, is La La that Land? as we were, as, as a number of us have been talking about in regards to the, uh, awards draft is that this is an odd year because there wasn't a clear front runner. Usually at the beginning of award season, there is a front runner. This one La La Land has emerged as the front runner for best picture for best picture. Um, it was like people are talking about Manchester by the sea, but yeah. like maybe that's not really uh, but then just the amount of critical love that La La Land is getting. And it's about Hollywood, which means it's going to do great with the industry. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's even, even Emma Stone is getting buzz 
she's not getting any critics awards, but like for best actress, a lot of people are saying it could wind up being her because they don't want to necessarily give it to Natalie Portman twice. And it could be Annette Benning, but yeah. some people might be like Emma Stone. I'll say not having seen 20th century women, um, just give it to Natalie Portman. She's fucking great. in <laughs> Jackie. Yeah. Hey, um, I agree. <laughs> having not uh, seen the film, but I, I, and it's, 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 this is one thing I didn't say. Uh, and it's, it's clearly about, the couple, but you and I, I think like to play the game of like, if you have to pick a lead for a movie, sure. who it is. And I would say it's more Emma Stone's movie than Ryan Gosling. Okay. Um, which I think is part of the reason why you and I were talking off mic a little bit, um, uh, about a scene that, cause you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, that you said rubbed you the wrong way about Ryan. Go- it's an early in Ryan Gosling's character. And yeah. I think he is intentionally introduced as a little bit more of a cliche. Yeah. And then he becomes more fleshed out as Emma Stone gets to know him more. Uh, I, I can't say for sure that, that was Damien Chazelle's, Chazelle's uh, uh, intention, but that's kind of how I read it. If it's about, I mean, if the film is about Hollywood and striving and stuff, then my guess is that his character being that type of person makes sense. Uh, it's also very much, I didn't even say this, it's very much a film about um, a relationship, especially the, you know, it takes place over the course of about a year and mm-hmm. it's like a year in a relationship and it really nails things like that feeling of being completely in, infatuated with the person, but also realizing that there's still so much you have to learn about them, you know, yeah. and that's potentially dangerous, but also potentially exciting that there's so much yeah. you don't know yet. It also has a scene of an argument that is maybe the most perfectly staged or perfectly written and acted like, early boyfriend girlfriend argument I've ever seen Hmm. the way that um, I was thinking about this on the, on the drive home from the movie. These arguments are like, and this is probably true of even couples who are long married arguments with someone you're close to are like locking yourself out of a hotel room. Like it happens quickly and quietly, but definitively. And once it happens, yes. you're like, how do, I don't know how I, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how I found myself in the hotel room with a hotel yeah. hallway without my key and the doors locked, but now I am in it and there's no going back. I'm going to have to deal with this. I have absolutely That's, been in that situation where, and it's just like Jen and I are in the midst of an argument and I, I just like, there are times when it's like, I, I never want the argument to happen. So like there are times when it's like, I want it to stop because this is uncomfortable. There are other times it's like, I want this to stop. Like, how about this? Let's stop the argument as it is. Let's restart it and kind of ease our way into it the way we usually do. Cause I have, I just woke up in the middle of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this makes this, I can't even find my bearings. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh boy. Oh boy. That, that movie sounds I was I was skeptical as I always am mm-hmm. about like a potentially precious uh, musical about Hollywood made by people oh in Hollywood what are uh-huh. the odds um, but just the number of people that are, are embracing it, and the number of critics that are embracing it mm-hmm. that's the thing that really surprised me I'd say uh, I was talking about that as a front runner I think that or Moonlight uh, seems to be the the two movies that are getting the most critical love on the on like the scale of picture uh, and director. Um, um, but anyway, all okay. right, yeah, with, last, this is your last one. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of best picture, uh, I watched for the first time, the best picture of 1956, which is Michael Anderson's around the world in 80 days. This is one of the notorious when people talk about when people make lists of worst best picture winners. This is what this one's always a lock for that list. Yep. Uh, <laughs> does, does it earn that? 
Yes and no. It took me a while to realize what it is and what it isn't. What it isn't is an engaging film. <laughs> what it is is a very engaging travel log. Okay. There, it took me a moment because there's a there's a, a scene in which um, what's his name? Phileas Fogg. I don't know. Uh, anyway, David Niven's character. He's in Spain and he's watching a bullfight. And this bullfight goes on for forever. And then when the first matador is done, a second one comes in and they do it again. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? How long is this movie? Three hours Jeez. and three hours and one minute. Okay. It's that, it's that last minute that puts you over. But, um, and it took me and it took me a while. I was like, man, this thing is lasting forever. And then I thought, wait a second. And, and then I saw a number of shots that like, cause he's on a train and you'll see, uh, the camera is basically mounted on the front of the train and you just see like this, uh, the beautiful European countryside. And then you'll see like Hong Kong and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And it's in, you know, total cinemascope. Uh, and I just had this thought of what is the point of this? And I thought, well, in 2016, there is no point. In 1956, Mm -hmm. where color is relatively new, CinemaScope is absolutely new, and films give you the opportunity to see the world. And that's what this movie is. It is an opportunity for people to go to their to go to a movie theater, which is the way to see this movie, not on my computer screen, um, (laughs) and see it, you know, in beautiful color and just like see like in 1956, I bet I, I feel like world travel has become more, maybe more accessible, but also just more, um, not expected, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like in my lifetime, the idea of going to other countries is seen as a good thing. Whereas like my parents never really went to another country mm-hmm. and it was a thing that they, they regretted, but not, to the point that people our age and we're relatively young, um, you know, you hear people say like, if you're 30 and you haven't been to another country, like, and I read more smug people than you do. Maybe. Um, yeah. Those people should, uh, you know what they should do? What? They should check their privilege. Yo, no question about it. Um, but that's the thing is around the world in 80 days allowed, viewers who were probably, they were never going to go to Spain, Mm -hmm. but now they can see uh, a bullfight in Spain. They, you know, and so there's a lot of really interesting things going on. And it's a film that hasn't aged well in the sense of it's not needed anymore. Mm. We have, you know, we have planet earth, for example, but then we have any number of documentaries. We have any, uh, any number of, of TV shows that we can tune into at any point. And travel is, I think, easier and probably less expensive and, and more people can do it internationally, uh, than they, than they could years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so as that, I found it very interesting. It's not that pleasing of a, of a movie. It's not, you know, I don't care about any, I don't care about this guy winning his bet, uh, that he could go around the world in 80 days. But, and if this were playing at the Egyptian, I probably wouldn't go see it, but that's the way to see it. Mm -hmm. 
but you still can't take this, this, um, this actually probably would have played into our extra textual conversation, which is taking into account how things have changed culturally, uh, and cinematically in the last 60 years definitely helps me to understand why this film is seen as completely inessential. Um, so I'm trying to think of it from that perspective and in that, at that time, I totally get why it won best picture. All right. Um, speaking of cinemascope, uh, La La Land is in the cinemascope aspect ratio nice. of two, five, five, uh, to one. Um, and also speaking of La La Land last night after I had just seen this incredibly beautiful movie, I was like, uh, you know, I was, I was in the glow of the movie and I was like, let's put that to the test. Let's watch another movie that is admittedly beautiful, but, uh, beautiful portraits of true ugliness. Uh, I watched a horror movie from this year that I heard a lot about. I'm glad I watched it. It's called the eyes of my mother. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you haven't, you haven't seen it. No. Um, it's good. Um, I really, really liked it, but it is, um, it's hard to, it's hard to describe the, the premise, you know, I had read, I read a review of it and I was like, Oh, that feels like it gave a lot away. And then I watched the movie and I was like, Oh no, it didn't, it goes on from there. So I'll just give away what the review gave away. Uh, so just so you know, it goes on from there. Um, in the opening scene, well, the, the opening scene is a, a, a little girl talking, they live on a farmhouse. She's talking to her mother, her father's uh, in town or something. Um, uh, and then a stranger, comes by a door to door salesman or something he presents himself as. Um, but really he's a psychopathic serial killer and he murders the girl's mother. The father comes home and, uh, knocks the guy out and ties him up in the barn. Um, and then the girl learning from her mother, who was a surgeon, uh, her late mother, who was a surgeon in, in Portugal, removes the guy's eyes and his, uh, uh vocal cords, mm-hmm. um, in the barn. And, um, feeds him and then we essentially cut to like 15 years later and she's grown her father's like an old sick man now and there's still this guy in the barn um and like i said that sounds like a lot of the plot but no it goes on from there um it's a very difficult movie to describe as a as a horror movie that's absolutely what it should be uh where it should be categorized if you have to categorize uh, a movie but um it's gruesome without ever actually really showing any like depicting any of the actual violence on screen. It happens mm-hmm. in the other room or, or literally just outside the, the frame or, or whatever. Um, it's also, it's, it's black and white. And it's beautifully shot. Every, every shot is, uh, incredibly thoughtfully, uh, composed and, and very, very striking. Um, and I feel like it's hard to recommend, but I do recommend it. But the reason it's hard to recommend even to horror fans is that I feel like the horror fans who prefer the slow burn moody tonal stuff will enjoy that, but might be turned off by just how fucking sick the movie gets. Hmm. Meanwhile, the people who watch horror movies for sick shit might be turned off for the long stretches of nothing that happens in no. between. Uh, the, and I don't I, I jokingly say nothing. It's not, it's not nothing. It's all about, uh, uh you know, tension and atmosphere. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a movie that's not like, uh, I, I can't really compare it to many other movies that I've seen. Hmm. Um, but I would definitely say, check it out. Um, there are some, 
sounds and images that will st stick with you. Uh, so be careful uh, if you if you have uh, you know if you're sensitive to to horror movies. Um, there's some real disturbing shit. Is it is it more disturbing than scary? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define scary. There's no like, at no point in the movie was I like, huh, you know, I define scary as, uh, you carry the fear with you out of the theater. And so, so there are things that, but see, like disturbing could be like that too. Like sure. there are, uh, um, there is one moment in particular that, I mean, it's only been 24 hours, but, uh, um, I, I haven't been able to shake it. Um, but I don't know if I would said that's because I was so scared by it or because I was so disturbed by it. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's uh, evidence of how powerful the movie is. Okay. And it's only like 75 minutes long. So hey, all right. That's always a good thing. Get in, get out. <laughs> uh, okay, so is that it for movies? That's it for okay. me. I'm done. I, I didn't watch like any TV this week, really. So uh, the Survivor finale was this week. and I'm sorry. I want to... Yeah, I know. But I do want to mention... Uh, one thing that I thought you might find interesting. The winner is a guy named Adam, who I think I mentioned throughout the uh, season, uh, his mother had stage four lung cancer mm -hmm. and he's out there and he's away from her and all of that. And so, and they, they applied to be on a, a blood versus water uh, season where they would both be on uh, a couple years ago, but they weren't accepted. So he applied individually and, uh, his mom said, go ahead. This is, this is what you need to do. And so he goes and he won. And since then, and his mother has died since then. And, uh, so at the he returned home before she died, though, right? Yes. Okay. He tells the story that she died one hour after he got back. Wow. Like, he was able to see her at the hospital, and then she was gone right after. Like, that's crazy to me. But um, he... So the, the reunion special, everyone... Like, all the... All the cast members are... All the castaways are back, and Jeff Probst is asking them questions. And, you know, this one his mom was a big part of his, of his narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was his narrative along with being a good player. Um, and so that was the focus of a lot of the, uh, of the discussion. And he's understandably getting emotional. It cuts to his family. They're emotional in the audience. And, uh, but he said something, he interrupted himself to say something. And it was so interesting that I don't know. He, he cut through, the re the the reality show format hmm. and he said he's like you know he said i and he sounded almost like he was angry but it wasn't he was trying to like make this real for people and he said he goes i know that as far as the show goes this was a good story he's like i know that like as a viewer i can watch mm -hmm. it and say this is so engaging he's like but this is my life it, it's and I don't think I don't think he said this so much as I I was thinking about it afterwards that. But what he seemed to be trying to convey is like, when this season is over, you the viewer will simply go find something else to watch, mm -hmm. um, or when each episode is over, you'll just see whatever you know you'll watch whatever's next on CBS or you won't. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but for him. 
like this is a reality show. These aren't characters. They're referred to as characters sometimes, but they're not characters. So like, you know, I'm sure he was watching the way his, his edit was going and it's true. It's what he was going through. So I, he doesn't have a problem with it, but I think he recognized, I think he was able to, cause he was a survivor super fan. So I think he was able to step outside and realize were I not me, this would be very affecting in a very specific way, but I am me. And so it's so much more than just this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's something that honestly, like the, 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 the reunion special is live. So Jeff Probst is not going to, you know, cut him off. And also I think he wouldn't anyway, given the circumstances, but it's the kind of thing that I find myself wondering, like, I, I wonder if reality producers don't want you thinking about that. I think they want you thinking about these people in terms of when the show, the season. Yeah. And they only exist if they, they only exist again if they come back and that's it. Like they don't have right. a real life. The stuff they're dealing with doesn't really impact, uh, their actual life. Um, and it's just, uh, so for one, for one moment, like he really, because of what he was going through, um, he really, I don't know. It, it wasn't, it's not like it was a wake up call. I, I'll, and I don't like the term reality check, but it was a, uh, let's say reality check on <laughs> a number of levels. It was a reality check of what this is and the limitations of it. And that he was just sort of, he was sort of challenging the audience that like, just think like, just think about this afterwards. And, and part of it is that he, you know, he's, he works with a, 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 a charity that like mm. funds lung cancer research. And so that was a big part of the episode as well. Yeah. Uh, and it started with him saying that like, he's going to get the ball rolling as far as, uh, donations. He's going to donate a hundred thousand dollars of his winnings. Uh, the name of the charity, uh, stand up, stand up to cancer. Okay. And, um, and so I think he was trying to say that like, yes, this story, I think that was another thing is this story is all well and good, but this, this wasn't purely for entertainment. You have the option of actually going and doing something because this is somebody's actual life. So it was a really, it was a really good finale in general, but that moment really struck me. And so it sounds was, like it was a good season overall. It was a great season. Um, so, all right. Well, that sounds great. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 